All right, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith, uh, and I am slowly taking over college ministry right from underneath Matt Morton's nose. So I currently have uh, evening services here at Anderson completely under my control. Uh, I think I have do loss on my side. No. Well, that's all right, though, because by golly, I'm getting them. I'm going to get them. And you know freshmen, they're hopped up on caffeine and newfound freedom. And so that is, that is something that is a good piece to have for my team. But I am slowly taking over. Uh, I will be transitioning into this role. Uh, starting in the fall, I'll be the primary teacher here at Anderson. Uh, so, surprise. So, uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Whoop. So, uh, this morning... Uh, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Acts, and okay, we're going to be in Acts 17 specifically. We're going to be in the second half, starting in verse 16. Uh, for those of you that maybe this is your first time or second time, uh, we've been walking through the book of Acts all year. Uh, this semester specifically, we started about halfway through the book of Acts. Uh, we've been looking at Paul and Barnabas, right? A few weeks ago, we looked at how Paul and Barnabas and how they handled Christian conflict. Last week, we looked at Still looking at Paul uh, and seeing just kind of his, the way that he dealt uh, with something, uh, right? We saw, we saw Paul, uh, oh yeah, there we go. Uh, we saw him deal with uh, 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 confusion. We saw him deal with, you know, the, with the crazy things that happened in the, in the world. Uh, we talked about, you know, finding God's will, uh, you know, making decisions in a biblical context, that kind of stuff. And this week, this week specifically, we're looking at Christians in culture, and we're looking at Paul and how he engaged the culture that he dealt with in that time. So look at verse 16. We're going to go all the way to 34. This is going to be intense. Here we go. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And as even some of the, your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold 
or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Let's pray. Lord, we accept the fact that you are great and mighty and huge. God, we just, we are so amazed of the fact that you have chosen to work through thousands of years, through millions and billions of people, that God, you are just constantly at work changing things, giving us messages. Lord, we thank you for your scripture that has stood this test of time. God, we thank you for these men like Paul, who, who are, were just steadfast for you. God, we, we pray that this morning we would be able to just calm down, that we would just be able to take a moment away from our busy schedules, God, from our crazy weeks, and that we would just stop for a moment and focus on you. God, we pray uh, that as we continue to learn and grow, that we would take these ideas, we would take these principles, that we would take the example of Paul, and that we would use it, that we would go out and change the lives of the people around us, that we would change this nation, this world, God, for your sake. God, we just, we thank you that you are so broad and so great, that you've worked through so many different cultures and so many different contexts. God, we thank you that you are so just widespread that we can't even begin to fathom it. God, we just pray that this morning we would catch a little glimpse of that, that, God, you would give us a little vision. Lord, we pray that you would use this scripture to change us. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Now, show of hands. Okay, let's be interactive today, because why not? It's February. Show of hands, who has never been to Midnight Yell? Okay, never experienced Midnight Yell. Wow, that is way lower than I would possibly imagine. There's like six of us. Okay, great. So look around, realize there are like a bunch of people here, and only like six or seven of them have never been to Midnight Yell. I'm so glad about that because Midnight Yell, as many of, most of us know, and for the seven of us, we will soon know this fall, you better, uh, is that... Midnight Yell is man, one of the greatest just Aggie experiences ever, right? Like the, the, the very existence of Midnight Yell uh, is just, it's just the, the perfect like culmination of just Aggie like mentality and insanity and just boom, just like comes together. And we have this thing where the Friday night before the football game, right? We all, we make the trek, right? Maybe we were freshmen, lived on campus anyway. Maybe we were older because we're just hardcore, right? But we go to Kyle Field, right? We go to our field of battle on Friday night and we show up late at night. We're like, we're just there and we're wandering in with all these other college students and there's a few like old people and you're like, that's weird. But everyone's kind of together and, 
And you're all kind of gathering in together. And I mean, let's be honest, it's a Friday night. You got people just like wandering in. They're just like, oh, great. And so you all come together and you, you, you find yourself in Kyle Field and you're looking at this field and you're looking around. There's literally thousands of people around you, thousands. And suddenly the yell leaders are down front, right? The yell leaders and some core guys and maybe like the, I don't know, a few like op president, the president or something like that. I don't know, somebody. And, and they're down there and they're talking and, and eventually the yell leaders, right? They start getting everyone riled up, and maybe do a couple of yells. And then they start, you know, stomping around, telling those stories, right? And making this gesture. Like, oh, I got to talk right now. I'm going around. And they're just like, they're thumping and bumping. And you're just like, all right, great, yeah. Right? And then they, they always tell the same story, right? They have this one template where they start, well, you know, oh, well, there's this, you know, old soul Ross, man. He was, he was walking down the road. And then he saw, you know, insert opponent, uh, you know, Alabama. He saw someone from Alabama and he was sneezing on puppies. And they were like, and so Ross was like, no way. And so he punched that guy in the throat. And then, you know what? They say, you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do to him, Eggs. Everyone's like, yeah! Everyone just loses it, right? Because they're like, yeah, I want to punch stuff, right? And so everyone's like, and then you do some yells. It's like, let's beat him, right? And you get all this stuff, and you're all, you're all just riled up. And man, that just like carries on for like an hour. And you're just like, ah, oh, it's just crazy, just a crescendo of um, agginess. And all of a sudden, the weirdest part is all of a sudden, boom, they turn the lights out, right? Everyone's like, whoa, what? But there's a few people, right, the cool people, they know that this is coming, right? And they know that apparently whenever they turn the lights out, you're supposed to, like, just mack down with your date, right? Like, that's, that's how it's supposed to work for some reason. And my favorite part is if you don't have a date, right, you're supposed to bring, like, a lighter or your cell phone, and you're just supposed to, like, find some other random person that has it, and then you go kiss, and that's weird, right? <laughs> not, not sanitary. I, I hope people don't really do that anymore. Uh, but, right, and you, you've got this moment, and it's kind of weird, right? And people are just, they're, you're all packed in together, right? And when the kiss thing happens, some people, there's always like that awkward couple that just kind of like hugs, because they're like, they haven't had their DTR yet, and so you're like, there's like, mm, right? I had, a, I had a friend one time, and it was there, and the guy just kind of like reached over, they kind of hugged, and he like kissed her on the head, and it was like, uh, like, it's just weird, right? Like, you're just, uh, no, right? Uh, but, but you've got this weird moment, and you've got this, this thing, and there's all these people that just gather together, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they talk, right? And eventually they hear, like, someone important actually talks, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is great, right? And everyone, you all sing together, and then you go home, right? Like, that's it. That's, boom, midnight yell. That's in a nutshell. And, and we go to this weekly, literally weekly, in the falls, right before these football games. Why? Because we just, we just love A&M, right? We just love our football team, and we want to support them. What's the best way to support our football team? Kissing strangers, right? Like, that's, that's how we do it, right? Like, that's how you go, and then we get together, and we do that, and I just want you to imagine, okay? I want us to take this little imaginary journey right now. Imagine if at the end of that midnight yell, okay, imagine if one of those yell ears is talking about all, you know, blah, blah, I'm going to stomp them out like bugs. And then he says, and you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did to sin, Aggies. And would be like, this, right? That's exactly what everyone, everyone would be like, what? Right? And all of a sudden, what that yell was like, yeah, guess what? Jesus Christ came and he died for your sins. And you know, this is a sinful world, but he was perfect. And so all of a sudden, if he was presenting the gospel at midnight yell, everyone would be like, this is the strangest thing, right? Phones would come out and they'd be like, I got to record this. And get on YouTube first, right? And like, I got, I got to get this because this is weird, right? And, you, you, and let's be honest, if you saw that happen, someone would be like, well, you know, this, I don't like this, right? You'd probably get some booze, right? Or we're Aggie, so we hiss, right? And you'd probably get a negative reaction. Maybe a few people would be like, yeah, 
yeah, Jesus, right? Like you have a few, right? But for the most part, people would be in that and they'd be like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do with this situation because this is, this is just weird. And I want you to realize Acts 17, what we just read, that's exactly what Paul just did. Paul just presented the gospel at midnight L. That's what he just did. He went to the Oropagus. He went to these people who are there, and they're, they're used to talking about these ideas. And they're like, yeah, yeah, why don't you tell us some stuff? And they're, and they're, they're just wanting to hear. And all of a sudden, Paul comes out. He presents the gospel. All of a sudden, he takes this cultural, just ingrained tradition that they have, and he completely flips it on its head and points it to Christ. He takes this idea of idols and these, these uh, philosophies that we're going to get into, and he takes them all and just wraps it up and points it to Christ. And it's amazing. What we just read was an amazing sermon. Phenomenal. Way better than what I'm going to talk about this morning. And I want us to realize that because, man, if we don't get this, if we don't see the kind of groundbreaking stuff that Paul was doing, man, we're not going to be inspired enough, right? We're not going to be driven. We're not catching the full vision unless we realize what Paul is doing. Because, you know, the truth is that a lot of us, man, we're in this culture right now, and this culture hates us. I mean, I know that there's parts of, you know, the world, even College Station, people are like, oh, it's Christian bubble, right? And for the most part, yeah, there's certain aspects of College Station. You can go to the coffee shop with your Bible, and people know what it is. I have a buddy here, actually, this morning, who was up in Seattle, went to a coffee shop, had his Bible with him, and the checkout lady was like, what is that? What are you reading? He's like, it's a, it's a Bible. She's like, why are you reading that? Right? And she just didn't get it. Right? In College Station, you're like, it's weird if someone's not reading their Bible. You're like, <laughs> Why are you drinking coffee, heathen? Right? Like you just, you've got that, you've got that kind of like, mm. <laughs> right? But, but, and the truth is, in other parts of the world, man, people, they don't get it. Our culture does not agree with Christianity. We have people, man, you know, the biggest selling book series this past year, 2012, you know, people think like, oh, Hunger Games. No, Fifty Shades of Grey. You know what that's all about? Weird sex stuff. That's it. The whole series. It's completely sexually driven. That was the number one highest selling book series in America last year. The year before that, you know what it was? Hunger Games? No. Harry Potter? No. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo? That trilogy. You know what that's got a ton of? Violence, incest, and rape. That's what we're reading. That's what we're ingesting. We watch these movies, we listen to these songs, and without even realizing it, these things are coming and they're attacking us. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, we're in a culture that does not agree with us, that hates Christianity, it hates the morals, it hates this Bible to the point where they say, ah, it's not even true. I don't even believe in that stuff. I'm not going to paraphrase some book written 3,500 years ago. We've got this culture, and we've got to do something with it, right? We've, we've got to attack it in some way. We've, we've got to encounter this culture in some way. And what I love is that Paul lays out some principles that we can use. This morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to see how we can engage our culture by redeeming it, by taking pieces and using them so that we can redeem the people within it. I mean, Mark Driscoll, famous preacher up in Seattle, he's uh, known, he's got a talk on culture that's great, where he talks about how basically when a Christian encounters a culture, they have three options. They said there's some things in culture that we can receive Right? Some things that we're like, yeah, that's great. I love this, right? Given to the needy, all about it. There's some parts in culture that they just reject, right? There's things, violence or, you know, sexual stuff. And we'd be like, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's done. Like, I'm rejecting that. But then there's other parts that we can redeem. There's parts that we see it, and I'm like, you know what? There's, there's a nugget of truth in there, and I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to repurpose that, and I'm going to point it to Christ. 
And we see Paul do that starting in verse 16. And we see him when, whenever he is encountering this culture. The very first thing that we see Paul get is convicted, right? The very first thing we see is that he is provoked, right? We're, our redemption of our culture, it's got to start with conviction. It's got to start with God pushing us, provoking our hearts, right? When Paul was there, it says in 16, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols, I mean, Athens was this kind of older city. It was cool, right? It was known for producing new ways of thought. At this point, it was a little bit on the downslope, but it, people were still like, yeah, yeah, Athens is really cool, right? The same way that Paris is known for maybe fashion, right? And you've got LA's making movies, right? Georgia, the state of Georgia is producing like Honey Boo Boo, and you're like, yeah, that's what you're all about. I get it, right? Like that's, that's one of those things. So like, yeah, Athens, it's, it's, it's really cool, right? They, they produce these cool pieces of thought. And when Whenever Paul was there, man, there's all this history that's been kind of building up. And part of that history is that they have all these different gods that they were worshiping. And, and every once in a while, someone would be like, hey, there's this other god that you forgot about. And they'd be like, oh, snap, who's that? And so they make an idol. And so suddenly they're just accumulating all these different idols. And so one day someone was like, man, you know what? There's probably a bunch of gods that we don't know about. So maybe we should make them an idol, right? We make this idol to an unknown god. And so suddenly you've got all these idols and they even have one like catch-all idol that's just like, and for anyone we didn't already make an idol to, here's your idol, right? And when Paul sees this, what is he? He's, he's provoked. And something stirs within him. And I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time that you were provoked by our culture? When was the last time you were provoked by the idols that surround you? What's tonight? Super Bowl, right? No, no one had to even think about that. I said, what's tonight? You're not like, mm, dinner? No, Super Bowl, right? Number one uh, grocery day of America, Thanksgiving. Number two day, you're like, Christmas, no way, Super Bowl. It's a huge day. It's something that we worship. And man, when you look at the Super Bowl, when you watch that sport, when you watch those commercials, there are so many amazing idols that are just, boom, thrust to the forefront. I promise you watch TV tonight. I mean, you are going to see so many different idols. You're going to see sports. You're going to see social things, right? You're going to see drinking. You're going to see sex, right? There's always that one, like, GoDaddy commercial that everyone's like, why is this sexual, Right? Do you even know what GoDaddy does? They're a domain registrar. I say that, and you're like, oh, yeah, domain registrar. It's something to do with women and bikinis. No, it's not. It's really not. Nothing to do with women and bikinis at all, probably, right? And that's, it's one of those things, but they, they just know, man, sex sells. So I throw it up there. And so when we see these idols, man, I want to ask you, are you provoked by that? Are you praying to God? Are you noticing these things? And then are you saddened for that? Are you, are you convicted for them? Uh, ben Stewart, right, speaker over at Breakaway, has said five million amazing things. And one of them uh, is that he, he talked about how, man, whenever we preach, whenever we minister, there should be a desperation in our preaching. It's one of the things I love they said. There should always be a desperation, meaning that I should just care. I should be compassionate. This should be brought out of compassion. Whenever you see Christ speaking in the Gospels, a lot of times it says he was moved with compassion. So he spoke. So are you moved? Are you provoked? People ask Ben Stewart, man, why, how do you bring such a genuine like, conviction to the stage? You know, people, other speakers be like, I don't, how do you like, convey that sense of that genuine? He's like, because I am genuinely convicted. Because I genuinely care. 
It's not like some trick of the light, right? It's not the, something I put in my pocket. Like, I genuinely care. That's how it's so effective. So I want to ask you, are you in that place? Are you moved? And, and that's where you got to start. You pray. You ask God, Lord, convict me of these things. God, please provoke within my spirit. God, move me. Make me aware of these idols, of this pain, the suffering around me. And when you've got that, you move into the next step. We see Paul in verse 17 where he picks up and, he then dis- and now that he's been convicted, he finds his, the right context, right? He finds his context and then he engages his culture. That's what I mean by that. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. You see, Paul goes to the right context, right? He goes to the synagogue. He goes to the marketplace. Why? Because that's where the intellectuals gathered, right? The same way that if you were on campus, and you want to see someone handing out a bunch of political flyers that no one cares about, right? You go to the academic plaza, right? You go over there. Or if you want to see people jumping around on slack lines, you go to the academic plaza, right? There's a weird dichotomy there, but it's, it's there, right? You want to see someone doing push-ups, you go to the quad. Like, you, you know there's certain areas of campus that you go to that you know that people congregate in those places. In the same way, Paul knew, okay, I'm going to go to the synagogue. I'm going to go to the marketplace. That's where these people throw around these ideas, that's the right context, right? On the flip side, uh, you know, you, maybe your correct context for you would be something like, you know, you look in a classroom or you're in an organization or you have a conversation with someone, right? That's, that's the context where we can go and move and engage with our culture, right? The, the context that we don't want, right, is like something, for example, a YouTube comment thread, right? The bathroom graffiti of the internet, right? Like that's the worst place ever. Or Facebook, right? I've worked with youth kids over at Southwood. Man, one of the saddest things is watching these kids that they legitimately, they care, and their hearts are in the right place, but they try to have these debates on Facebook with their friends about like theological or like moral things, right? And it's just, it just goes downhill so fast, right? So maybe some of us here have tried it. It does not work, right? Anytime your conversation can be interrupted in the middle by like someone's, like your friend's grandma talking about muffins. Like that, that right there is like, that's your sign. We're like, yeah, this is not a good conversation venue. Like this is not where this should happen, right? This doesn't make sense, right? So when you are thinking about how am I going to engage the culture around me? How am I going to talk to these people? I mean, you've got to find the right context. And you've got to understand the culture, right? When, when we see right here, you see this thing about Epicurean, Stoic philosophers. Uh, basically, that's brought up because those were the two leading trains of thought in that day, in Athens. Uh, you had these Epicureans who believed that there, you know, maybe there's a God, maybe. But, it, but if there is a God or multiple gods, they're not really involved in people's lives. Instead, the whole point of life is, in fact, to take ourselves to this state of mind where we are happy and where we're avoiding pain. That, that's the point of life. It's just you've Try to be as happy as you possibly can with as little, pain as, little of pain as possible. That's what Epicureans believed. And you had these Stoics. Right? You had these Stoics who, they believed in something a little bit different. They said, no, no, no. You know, yeah, there, there's definitely gods, right? But the thing is, there's lots of them. Right? We're pantheistic. There's God kind of everywhere. They said the God is kind of this, this universal idea. And all the universe is going towards this one purpose. They had this capital P purpose that they, that they believed in. 
that all the universe was aligning itself to that. And so our goal in life wasn't to be happy, wasn't to avoid pain. Instead, our goal in life was to align ourselves with that purpose, to somehow figure out how I fit into this grand universal purpose. I mean, if we're honest, we look at our culture, and a lot of times we haven't even thought about those things. Right? If, you, if you're really honest and you tell me right now, what do you think are the main beliefs or values of America? I don't know. Think of a couple. But we don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. What do we do? What is the average American? What does their life look like? like what, how do they act? I don't know. We know what we do. Right? We kind of have our own little culture thing going on. We have a culture in this room. We have culture at school. Right? We have these little things, but we don't really think about, okay, what, what about these other people? Right? Because sometimes in order to understand that you even have a culture, in order to understand culture, you've got to compare two very different ones. Right? Uh, I uh, recently was in a class uh, for seminary, and, and we were talking about uh, missions and talking about kind of the differences and different mission fields. And one guy was talking about how uh, he went to a conference in Africa where there's a speaker that they had brought in uh, from Europe, and he was up and he was talking and talking about how, you know, they can live missionally and all this stuff. And, and in the middle of his talk, he started using these phrases that we hear a lot even here, you know, like, you know, we got to, like, do life, right? We got to do ministry and all this stuff. And he says, you know, we got we to gotta love on people, right? That was, that was one of those things he'd come back to, love on, right? And I say that, and you're just like, yeah, that's a totally normal thing to say. Well, wait, Okay. So he talks, he's, you know, he's talking to this conference. There's a translator who's translating it uh, into the language. And the translator is like, love on, I don't, and so the way he translates it is, we are called to love on top of people, right? And so all of a sudden, he's this whole audience of all these people that are there. They're like church leaders and pastors. They're all just like, he said it was hilarious because he was actually sitting up on stage and everyone just kind of like, like, <laughs> they're like, like, you know, like taking notes and like, what, Right? And the, guy, and the guy's like, yeah, they're engaging. And so he, like, he went into that. Like, he decided, okay, I'm going to make this a thing. He's like, yeah, man, we got to love on people. And, and there's all this crazy stuff. And, man, you probably wonder, how do I love on people? And every time he says it, like, everyone in the audience is just like, no, like, what is going on, right? And, they, you know, and they, they understood kind of, but they're just, like, cracking up because he's saying, you know, we're going to love on top. Of, you, know, you want to know how to love on top of people? Man, let me tell you how to love on top of people, right? And people are like, this is, this is freaking weird, right? Because that's a part of his culture, right? There, there was no carryover in that. And a lot of times we don't even realize that we have this ingrained culture. And so I would encourage you, think about what is the culture around us, right? What are, you, what are the differences? If you really want to pick up, you know, like, what do I believe? Or, or what does America believe? Like, what, what are our thoughts? What are our values? You want to compare it to a completely alien culture? Compare it to the Bible, right? That's what Christians can do. We don't have to go overseas. I mean, it's great if you can, but we don't have to. You can look in the Bible and you see the culture that God created for his people and you see the differences. And suddenly you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, we make a really big deal about, I don't know, pride. We're very self-absorbed. We think that men are like, you know, mankind is the end-all be-all. We've made ourselves gods. You see those things when you compare American culture, when you contrast it with the Bible, so I would encourage you, man, as you are convicted, as, as you're stirring, when you find your right context, you've got to understand the culture that you're coming into contact with. But, but not only that, once you've got those pieces, what we see Paul do is he brings it to Christ. Right? I touched on this a little bit earlier. He had that right conviction. He had that right context. He understood the culture. And then he took it all, wrapped it up, and pointed it to Christ. 
right? At the very end of verse 18, it says that he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's what he's focusing on. He's focusing on this problem, right? It says that Paul was stirred up about idols, right? But it doesn't tell us that his sermon, he stood up and said, well, idols are bad, and idols are really bad, and you're really bad for believing in idols. And the idol, right? It doesn't tell us that Paul launches into this moralistic story about why idols are bad. Instead, it tells us the main point of his sermon, Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's the main point, because that is the end all, be all. That is the true problem, right? This, this sin issue, He's focusing on the problem instead of the person. I had a buddy in high school who was just like crazy colorblind, like super colorblind. I don't know if you like are minorly colorblind or if you know someone, but there's levels. Okay, there's like, there's, gauge, there's a gauge for this, okay, colorblindness. He was like mega ultra colorblind, or I think that's the technical term, right? So that's super duper bo-booper colorblind. That's what he was. And like he, he, I mean, he's like walking around. He's like looking at something. He's like, man, those, that clothing thing, that looks whack. Like that, that doesn't make sense. Those don't match at all. And he's like, what are you talking about? Right? It's like black and white. And he's like, huh, purple and blue. And we're like, what? And it's just like weird, like weird, weird, weird. And, and one of the things that we had, really had a problem with is, man, he couldn't, he couldn't even like see green. And it was one of those things where anytime he saw something green, he would like assign different, like it would change what color he was assigned to it. It was, I don't know, it was weird. Sometimes I wonder if he was just messing with us, but... He would see something green, right? And we'd be like, hey, you know, let's go to the green or whatever. And, and, and we would tell him these things, and there would just be this language disconnect, and he didn't understand, because he didn't understand. There, there is a green, right? There is an absolute green. There is, right? But whenever we would tell him, oh, no, this is green, we wouldn't make fun of him. Right? We wouldn't be like, you stupid idiot, right? Like, we'd say, no, this is green. This is not green. I love you, right? Like, that's, that's how we would try to approach him, Right? You approach him in love. You say, I'm sorry. You know, this is not your fault. You just don't know colors. <laughs> it's all right, right? We would go through that because we wouldn't attack him, right? There's a big difference between correction and just ridicule, right? We were able to correct him in love. We weren't just, you know, knocking him down. And when we see Paul do, what we're about to see when we read his sermon again is, man, he doesn't, he does address the issue of idols, right? He does address the Epicurean philosophers. He addresses the Stoic philosophy. He addresses them but he doesn't just beat him over the head with it. He doesn't ridicule him. He corrects him, but he does it out of love and compassion. Okay, so we're going to take these ideas, right? This conviction, this context, this culture, this Christ, and we're going to see Paul do it again in a sermon. We're going to read it one more time, starting in verse 19. All right, so they took him, they brought him to the Oropagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So right here, Paul's got his context, right? He's going to the Oropagus, this place where people would meet and gather and they would talk. It used to be a place of law. At this point, again, kind of gradual downward slide of Athens. Oropagus isn't, they're not setting laws anymore, but they are discussing big issues. And so we know this is where I can go. This is a proper context for me to have this discussion. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Right here we see Paul start off in the culture, right? He understands the culture, and he starts off with something familiar. Right? This is a common speaking technique, starting off with, you know, something to make you relatable. Right? I started talking about Midnight Yell, because I know 
a lot of us have gone to Midnight Yell, right? As soon as Paul says, yeah, men of Athens, you're very religious, right? There's probably someone in the back who's like, yeah, we are, woo, woo, right? Like that's, they're like, yeah, yeah, like he, he gets us, right? He's like, yeah, and I see these idols. They're like, yeah, I have an idol at my house, crazy, right? And suddenly all these people, they're like on his side, like, yeah, yeah, we see where he's going with this. Yeah, I, li- I like this Paul guy. He knows idols, cool, me too, right? And, and they're identifying with him. And in his understanding of culture, that's why he takes us to this next piece where he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and even as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of the man. The times of ignorance got overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So we see Paul, man, he, he's got this context, right? And, he, and he's got this culture. He understands him. He relates to him. And then he hits where the, what they believe, right? He says, hey, guess what? Idols, those don't make sense. He says, God is the creator, not the creation, God made you. You cannot make God. So that doesn't even make sense. What I love is when he talks about how they are men uh, of strong faith, uh, very religious. Uh, What's hilarious is in the Greek, he takes three words and just mashes them together because that's what Paul does. He invents words like a crazy person. And what he does is he takes this idea of faith or belief. He takes this idea of hard, like firmness, and kind of mashes them together. So it's like you believe firmly. And then he takes this word diamond, which could mean spirits, right? Which is how they'd probably interpret it. would be like, yeah, yeah, spirits. But it, another word that we get from that, right? Diamond, can you pick it out? Demon. It also meant evil spirits. Demons. So Paul is telling them, look, dude, you're very religious, but you are worshiping the wrong stuff. It says your religion is misguided. So when we look at Paul's talk, man, I want you to catch the fact that he's hitting what they believe. He hits the Epicureans, right? He says, look, God, he does exist. And he's not just uninvolved. Instead, our God is so powerful. He knows everything. He's all present. He's actively involved in our lives. The purpose is not to be happy. The purpose is to know this God who wants to know us. And he hits the Stoics. He says, you know what? And the, the purpose of life is not to align yourself with some grand plan or purpose. He says, God already has a plan. And that plan involves sending this one man, this Jesus Christ, to die, to pay the penalty for sin, which is death. So that's the plan. And our purpose, our goal is to put our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might have eternal life. So how do we know this? It's, it was proven because Christ was raised from the dead. That's how we know it's true. That's how we know that Christ was Lord, that he had power over sin, power over death. So he hits them, and he hits these beliefs and he brings them back to Christ. Right? This whole last piece, he's talking about, look, Christ is the answer. He says, Christ is what we're all about. 
We see Paul echo this throughout his, his letters. Further in the New Testament, we see in Colossians, he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He says, Christ is it. Christ is the big deal. He's the big idea. That's why he says in Romans, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul takes him to this idea. He says, look, I know that you're groaning. He says, I know why you have these idols. I know why you are so religious because you're trying to find God. You're trying to feel your way towards him. He says, and you're not getting there. He says, I see you're groaning. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take it, I'm going to tie it, and I'm going to put it up to Christ. So, man, when we look at our culture, I want us to realize, man, there are groanings around us. This is the last thing, and we're done. I want us to realize there are groanings. You look at this idea of human trafficking. Man, it's this big thing. It's been promoted, which is awesome. There's all this awareness, right, which is good. That's like what everyone wants. So we're aware, thanks to things like passion, Right, a few weeks ago, passion happened in Atlanta. 60,000 college students show up, raised $3.3 million to give towards this cause of ending slavery and trafficking because they were saying how there's 27 million people in the world that are currently caught up in, in trafficking. A lot of them, it's sex trafficking. And we see this, and our world will accept that. Our world says, yeah, yeah, that's really bad. That's really evil. And so when you look at secular, you look at the news coverage for something like Passion, they're like, yeah, all these people got together and it was all about ending slavery, which is really cool, right? They completely glance over the fact that what was Passion really about? Was it about slavery? No, I mean, that was there, but what was the ultimate purpose of Passion? To bring people to Christ. Because they realize that Christ is the answer. Because they realize that our desire to end slavery is, is part of our desire to be free. Because we realize that, 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 that freedom is, is important. And that was given to us by God. And that's why God tells us, look, you are slaves to sin, but I will set you free from that. Through Christ. We can take this groaning and we bring it in and we push it to Christ. We see this nation that is struggling with violence Right? We keep having these violent acts. People are getting shot multiple times. Like, there's been so many things in the past like, two months. And we see our nation is just recording. And they're like, what do we do? Like, I don't know what we should do. Like, we need to set up some methods. Or we need to do something. And we as Christians can look at that and be like, no, look, we're doing this. This groaning is occurring. You guys want to end this violence because you realize that violence is not the answer because you realize that there should be peace. And you know who brings peace? Jesus Christ. He is the great peace giver. God is the only one who can deliver us from this pain, from the suffering. We can take that groaning and point it to Christ. We've got people that are talking about, you know, marriage and like who should be able to get married. Is marriage even important? Cohabitation, right? When you think about just culture, you think about a TV show or a movie, what's the natural progression of a relationship? You date, you sleep together, you move in together, and maybe you get married. That's the culture we live in. And as a Christian, I look at that and I say, I see your groaning. Gosh, I see you and you want that meaningful relationship. I know you do. I know you're trying to get there. But here's the truth. The only way you get there is through Christ. Christ told us that, man, you want to know about marriage? You look in the Bible. You look in the Old Testament. I take this groaning. I say, no, Christ has the answer. 
So I'm going to try to just point you to him. That's our goal. And let me close with this idea, man. As we are looking at this context, man, as we're trying to understand our culture, right, as we're trying to bring it all together and point it to Christ, let me tell you, it's only possible through the work of God. That's what I mean by confidence. Whenever we present these ideas or you have that conversation with your lab partner or the person from your class, I mean, you've got to be confident that God's at work. When we see Paul, what does he do? He's got these people that some of them reject him. Some of the people are just kind of skeptical. And what does he do? He leaves. Which seems kind of weird. But he's leaving because he's trusting that God will continue to work in them. And instead what he does is he goes with the people that join him who did believe. And he goes with them and he nurtures them, cultivates that. So I would challenge you, man, we're, we're right here about to sing a few more songs. And man, maybe you stand up and maybe you sing the words that are up on the screen. That's great. Maybe instead you just stay seated. Maybe you stand up and you just, you bow your head. And I would just encourage you, whatever you try, choose to do at this time, make sure you're connecting with God. And make sure you're asking him, man, where do I need to be convicted? What's the context that, I, that I've been given? Where, what's the culture that I'm faced with? How can I tie all these pieces back to Christ? Where's the groaning? But ultimately, you've got to remember, Lord, you're in control. So even if I feel like that conversation went so poorly, or even if I feel like there's not a lot of opportunities for me, I promise you can pray. Ask God to be at work in the lives of the people around you. Because ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit's movement, conviction that makes it happen. So pray with me. Lord, we see that we are a broken people. God, we see that you have graciously chosen to work through us. Lord, we just pray that we would be faithful in that calling. That, Lord, we would take advantage of the conversations, God, God, of the circumstances, that, God, we would take advantage of the people you've put in our lives so that we can point them to you. God, I pray that this semester wouldn't just be another semester where we, we take care of what we want to get done, but, Lord, it would be a semester that we give completely to you where we look at this world from a missionary mindset. So if you would, man, take this moment right now and just pray to the Lord. Maybe you are groaning right now. Maybe you've never come to Christ. Maybe you've never put your faith in him. I would, I would ask that you would just deal with that right now. Maybe you have put your faith in Christ and you just don't feel like there's any way that God could use you because you're still dealing with so much junk. I just pray you would talk to God about that right now. Maybe one of those little points you just kind of grabbed a hold of. And you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe I can reach this person. Or maybe there's this, this other idea that popped into my mind. I would just pray for you that you would be praying to God about that right now. Just take this moment of silence to do that.